0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of the Last Palabra podcast, my weekly attempt at capturing and dumping the flow of information in and out of my head for you all to listen to. This is of course the difficult second episode where we'll talk about things rattling around my head like growing up, things that worry me like Brexit and climate change and the things that make me smile such as how I got to the top of my works fantasy football league despite knowing nothing about football. Firstly, thanks for listening. Since my exploration into podcasting, delving into why I wanted to record a podcast, and taking the leap into doing so, I've been pretty busy working on it. The podcast is now what I'd say fully fledged, as it's listed on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn and Pocket Casts, as well as on YouTube. And you can also follow and interact with me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I also received some nice comments from our family and friends who listen, so thank you all for that. And here we are, the difficult follow-up episode. I've been working on episode 1 for some 29, almost 30 years, and i prepared episode 2 in just the space of a week. Uh, either way, it's better to continue to keep creating, than to be too thoughtful about it all and start doubting and putting it off. In order to get started, I thought what better way than to consider some of the best follow-up books, films and albums that I could think of. So I'm going to jump right in with an album that defined mine and likely many others teenage years, Nevermind by Nirvana. Whilst many people know this album, few are aware of Nirvana's debut album, released in 1989, Bleach was one of the more raw and noisy albums, blatantly missing the talented Dave Grohl on the drums. and The album's much more bleak and a difficult listen than the shimmering guitars and the thoughtful songwriting found on Nevermind. Whilst I was a fan of Bleach, it just doesn't compare to Nevermind, with the second album having such hits as Come As You Are, Lithium, In Bloom, and of course the hit that made the band famous, Smells Like Teen Spirit. The story goes that the late great Kurt Cobain was growing weary of the noisy Seattle grunge sound and was influenced by the likes of R.E.M. and the Pixies and his music became more melodic. In fact, I remember watching a VHS1 interview when I was sort of 14, 15 with bassist Chris Novoselic who talked about the straight 4-4 bass line in Smells Like Teen Spirit. You know that kind of like dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. It's really, really straight. There's no, There's no flow, there's no kind of jazziness about it and basically they said that they stole it from the pixies they just completely lifted it from from the pixies and, and kurt is saying that he you know basically this quote is saying that he just ripped off the pixies completely he wanted to mix the some kind of the soft and the hard sounds and write the ultimate pop song speaking of the pixies one of my all-time favorite albums doolittle by the pixies is in fact a difficult second album the 1989 album doolittle undoubtedly introduced to me by my uncle ian is the follow-up to surfer rosa And it's undoubtedly better, just in every way. Arguably their biggest hits, Monkey Gone to Heaven and Here Comes Your Man are on that album, as well as Debaso, which is one of my all-time favourite songs, along with Wave of Mutilation and Hey, which are amazing songs in their own right, and they show the real depth of the Pixies' songwriting. If you don't know the album, go and look it up, "Do Little" by the Pixies. Uh, I'll tweet some of their songs maybe this week, they're just so good, really, really worth a listen. Another more famous album which completely outshone the debut record is oasis what's the story morning glory now i'm a fan of definitely maybe it's a great album but i mean what's the story morning glory is just it's just an album full of Britpop pop bangers from track one hello to track 12 champagne supernova it's just 50 minutes and six seconds of pure musical gold go to any pub in britain and i challenge you start singing a track off this album, and you can guarantee somebody will sing along, it's loved by young and old men and women, and it doesn't seem to be disappearing anytime soon. That's not to say though that Oasis debut album Definitely Maybe, which celebrated 25 years just this week, on the 29th of August, is an amazing album in its own right, featuring Rock and Roll Star, Live Forever, Cigarettes and Alcohol, and the beautiful Half a World Away. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's not better, <laughs> but it's certainly a hell of a follow-up album. In terms of difficult second novels I'm struggling to find some that are really notable that I've read and can talk about. This is maybe more of a downfall on my part but there are just so many good books and people keep writing more and more it's hard to keep up. Well catch up let alone keep up. I did however discover that Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 is in fact a second novel and worthy of a mention. Although it, I don't know, barely a novel. Does it Does it class as a novel? It's quite thin. Uh, I only read it this year and it's a short little book and I actually thought I'd accidentally bought a bridge version, that's how short it is. It's about a dystopian, or maybe utopian, depending on how you see it, future, where books are banned in favour of room-sized TVs and drugs. The protagonist, Montag, is a fireman, but in Bradbury's future, firemen don't put out fires, they start them to burn books. Too much learning and critical thinking is forbidden, but Montag, much to the disgust of his wife, is slowly subverted, I don't want to give any more away, but I really enjoyed the book, although it deeply shook me. As I reflect on my own time, spending more and more hours staring into a screen and less hours reading from the words put on paper by the greatest minds in history. If you're a fan of George Orwell's 1984, or Aldous Huxley's A Brave New World, or even if you're just interested in subverting the government of mainstream media, maybe you need to give Fahrenheit 451 a read. I, I'd recommend it. In terms of films, there are some obvious standouts but i want to start with kevin smith's more rats is an amazing follow up movie i'm a huge fan of kevin smith especially his kind of earlier work like the, like clerks more rats uh, jane silent bob um he made his feature length debut of of clerks which is a truly incredible film go and watch it uh, he shot it at the convenience store and video store that he actually worked at uh, he got his friends to act in it and he had a budget of just $27,000 that he got from maxing out various credit cards and selling off his comic book collection it's a true, true labor of love that was shot 21 days straight on black and white film just because it was cheaper and is mostly just conversations between characters with kind of little in terms of action. The coolest trivia, I think, around Clerks is that it all had to be shot at night when the shop was closed, his boss giving permission to use the shop. Uh, and so they wrote into the script, uh, and you'll see it in the film, that the shop shutters are permanently down because someone jammed gum into the locks. It's a great film, Give it a watch. It grossed around three million dollars in the cinema um, and made kind of Kevin Smith famous and, and cemented his place as a filmmaker. And just a year later, he came back with his follow-up with a budget of 6.1 million. Uh, apparently, he didn't know what to do with it all, and so they were bringing in cranes and they, they kind of scripted in loads of special effects and stuff just to, to you know, really spend the budget and, and play with it. And he made Mole rats. It fell flat in the cinemas, but has since developed kind of a cult following. Obviously, it's way before kind of my time. I was just a kid, uh, but I I really fell in love with it, with this the the dialogue and the kind of the the grungy music of the whole thing. Cast members include Jason Lee and a very young Ben Affleck, as well as Ethan Supply, despite its failings. Mallrats is one of my favourite of the early Kevin Smith movies, just because of its whimsical, kind of fun, 90s alternative soundtrack. And it just captures the kind of slacker culture at the time. Kevin Smith is is possibly best known for like the stoner Jay and Silent Bob movie, which apparently he's working on a sequel to, um, as well as the Seth Rogen, Elizabeth Banks comedy, Zack and Miri make a porno. Less than known, and I didn't realize this until I was kind of doing a bit of research for this. He was a co-executive producer on Good Will Hunting and was also the voice of Stormtrooper on J.J. Abrams Star Wars The Force Awakens. He's also currently, and this is really exciting, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, he's working on Masters of the Universe, He-Man series for Netflix, which is just going to be great. Go check out Kevin Smith and his films, he's got an amazing podcast as well, especially if you like, like look up his early films, because they're really kind of angsty, they've got this slacker culture vibe, they've got really witty dialogue. Uh, Dogma's probably got to be a firm favourite, starring Ben Affleck again, uh, Matt Damon as well, Adam Rickman. Uh, Salma Hayek, and Chris Rock, to name just a few of the famous faces that appear in that film. Chasing Amy is also a must-watch, if you get into the whole Kevin Smith groove. Other follow-up films I thought of, but are not necessarily difficult second movies for the writer or director, but seconds in a franchise. Uh, For a few dollars more, the follow-up to Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Western, uh, starring Clint Eastwood, A Fistful of Dollars, the one that comes before The Good and Van the Ugly. Really good sequel. Uh, I much preferred it to the first one. The soundtrack's better the kind of the intenseness uh they leave a lot of a lot of pauses because it was just cheaper to not record dialogue uh but that's just perfect because it's filled with any morricone's beautiful beautiful soundtrack the empire strikes back easily a sequel that that lives up to the first one if not overcomes it you know um a really solid star wars film and the dark knight the christopher nolan batman series easily better than batman begins Probably better than Dark Knight Rises, let's be honest. Easily better than Dark Knight Rises as well. Very infamous film. A true masterpiece of cinema of, of the modern age, in my opinion. A lot of people didn't like it. Fight me, I don't <laughs> It's an amazing film. Um, arguably probably one of the strongest sequels of all time, except maybe for Terminator 2. Controversial. So, we're all growing up. Uh, last weekend, I went to a 30th birthday party. And it was clear that we're all moving into another age. It was a lunchtime party on a Sunday with parents and grandparents and even toddlers were there. Um, it's far removed from what I remember of 20th birthday parties. Actually, it was the, the first 30th birthday party uh, of sort of my friends. As the school years work differently in Spain to in England. Uh, in England, the school year runs from September to the following August. So that meant I was born in October. I'm one of the older people in my academic year because everyone that sort of turned, what, four or five in September starts school up to the people that start that turn four or five at the end of August the following year. So I went to school with a lot of people that were born in 1989 and 1990. They were in my kind of my academic year, if you like. So whereas in Spain, people that are born in, in 1989 are all in the same school year if that makes sense. So I'm one of the oldest older ones I'm one of the first to turn 30 out of my kind of group of friends. As a lot of them were born in 1990 whereas I was born in 1989 but we're all in the same school year. However, the Spanish system follows the calendar year. So all of the children that were born in 1989 were all in the same school year. So i was, I'm one of the oldest in my school year. I'd be one of the youngest if I'd have gone to school in Spain. So we begin the 30th birthday party era, if you like, with kind of circle of friends, as a lot of them are older than her. She was born in December. And you kind of get these typical conversations of people that don't really want to turn 30 and not really want to kind of grow up because like turning 30 is a big deal. You become an adult. Um, While I'm reluctant to grow up too much, and actually I've been given three Batman t-shirts in the last month. uh, I don't know if that reflects me not growing up or reflects me being kind of a geek. I don't know um but i've got no issues with turning 30 the fourth decade for me marks something special it's kind of like i'm old enough to be independent and experienced enough not to fuck it up too badly i hope and people start to look at you as kind of a proper adult i lo- i work with a lot of kind of people that are under the age of maybe 25 26 and like they're talking to me like ah you're turning 30 like you you know stuff now you know shit you know <laughs> like you've seen shit um certainly in you know, a kind of a work and career sense i think it marks something like it's a uh, you know you stop being this kind of post-university age and you move into this kind of new age where you're taken like more seriously. However, they do say that, you know, it's only 30. 30 is a new 20, apparently. Uh, so I'm not at all worried about it. Of course, with turning 30, there are kind of some societal pressures that hit. Having a proper job, settling down, getting married, buying a house, having a kid um certainly our mums are kind of asking about us that, about that last one um but we are taking off boxes already as much as i don't want to grow up there's kind of some cool stuff that, that we're moving forward with a month ago almost to the day in fact yeah, on the third of august uh Patrick and i tied the knot and honestly that was the best decision uh, and a completely logical one like yeah it's about love it's about emotion but honestly if you find someone that's just a true ally in this world loves you dearly, wants the best for you, wants the best for a shared future, why wouldn't you marry that person? Why wouldn't you want to spend as much time as possible with that person and commit to a future together? We spent nearly two years saving for the wedding, and with a lot of little help, a lot of help from both of our parents, we were able to pay for an amazing day, amazing wedding in Barcelona with all of our family and friends. All of the clichés, however, are completely true everything flew by very very quickly we barely ate anything I feel like I didn't see anybody and this was extra frustrating for me because a lot of my family had made a real effort they'd you know not given up their summer holidays but they made sure their summer holidays coincided with being in Barcelona on the 3rd of August Uh, they were forced to spend it there with us um, they flew to Barcelona. They found hotels, you know, they did everything so that they could be there. I'm very grateful to them I'm sure they were happy to do it, but I feel like I barely spent five seconds with them One of the most important things all along for me was to find a really good photographer and videographer Obviously, I'm really big into photos and video so it was important to find someone who was good but also to capture the memories I thought that you know this was really important because aside from you kind of what you take away with you what will last with you in your memory forever you know it's it's all you're left with really um and looking back at the video and photos from my parents wedding 31 years ago there are people that are no longer with us and it's great to see them on such a happy occasion surrounded by family and friends and also of course for me i wasn't able to attend that wedding my parents wedding because i wasn't even born and so the photos and the video there are important for me to put a context to that moment in my parents' lives. The photos, that our photographer actually gave us the photos just a few days ago, and they're great, they're really good. There's loads of them, there's about 950 of them, and she's given them as in colour and black and white, so we're talking like, I don't know, some 1800, 1900 photos. Um, they combine various friends and family from both sides. Some of the combinations of groups is really interesting. There's like someone that Patrick went to university with, with some of my friends from work. It's like, how are we having photos together? It's really weird. Uh, there's a lot of fo- like posed photos of Patrick and I, where the photographer kind of whisked us away after the ceremony to these gardens at the venue to do like a photo shoot, which you know we had to pose for. Can you stand here? Do this. Hold hands. Kiss. Look over there. Look over here um it's lovely the pictures are out amazing i'm very happy with them but i really prefer the ones that we're posing with our friends or the kind of candid ones they make me much happier and like they really really capture the joy that i remember of that day and also i she's captured some moments that i don't even remember you know there's some some hilarious ones of us dancing and friends and i posing and doing daft things and and that's captured really well so for me on balance probably less kind of photo shoot more just capturing the kind of the ambulance if you like then we did what's called a post wedding photo shoot and honestly i didn't know that this like the whole concept even existed but the idea is that you put back on all your wedding clothes so i put on my suit my tie Patrick put on the big white wedding dress and you go somewhere and pose for yet more photos people do all kinds of things including like jumping in the sea in their suit and wedding dress you know just making it fun and not having to worry too much we opted to go for a walk around our neighborhood, and it just so happens that the Sagrada Familia is in our neighborhood. So we had lots of photos of us walking around outside the Sagrada Familia in our wedding clobber. I have to admit, we got a lot of looks, and a lot of people took pictures of us. God knows where they'll end up. We must be all over Instagram stories from people that visit Sagrada Familia on that day. Uh, but a lot of people were really, really happy about it. They congratulated us. Uh, there was one lady that even came over and like helped kind of... Arranged then straighten up the wedding dress whilst the photographer is preparing to take the photos It was kind of weird and uncomfortable, but I'm really excited to see how these photos turn out Once we would had a wander around uh, we went to five guys still in our wedding clothes If you don't know five guys, it's kind of like an upscale mcdonald's a bit more expensive, but much better quality And it's got like a 1950s American diner kind of feel to it we would given them a heads up that this is you know We were gonna go there dressed like this with a photographer and everything And they were really great. They had someone meet us. They were so accommodating. They took care of us. And they even treated us to dinner. Again, it was a really bizarre experience. uh, But just so much fun. And we're really excited to see how these photos turn out. It will just be yet another bizarre memory in our wedding year. Um, Whilst that, for the most part, brings kind of the wedding festivities to a close. We have got our honeymoon in December. And the video to look forward to. Which, apparently, he's hoping to get to us this side of Christmas. So, like we're kind of wrapping up this wedding stuff but but it's still ongoing for a little while yet and then just to add to the grown upness of everything we are buying a flat we've made an offer on a flat just outside of barcelona in a town where patrick's family lives and it's really convenient for us in terms of work and everything as well the high and the low of it is uh, we've just gotten really tired of renting and string to landlords not being in control of our lives Whilst being hundreds of thousands of euros in debt to a bank is hardly taking control of our lives, I do think it's a step in the right direction, and at least gives a place that we can call our own and that we're truly responsible for. Again, it's another big step into adulthood. We're all growing up. Whilst the flat situation is still in the early stages, I'm sure I'll keep you updated as we progress. Whilst not 100%, we have started packing our first box. Getting married, whilst demonstrating Patri and my undying love for each other, it could prove useful as well as Brexit rolls around the corner, looming over us like a storm cloud over a swimming pool on a sunny day. The prospect of a no-deal Brexit became a real possibility last week as Prime Minister Boris Johnson requested that the Queen approve proroguing of Parliament for five weeks up until mid-October when there'll be very little time to deliberate a deal by the October 31st deadline. It seems that the Tories, between the various Brexit negotiators, the two Prime Ministers we've had since June 23rd, 2016, they've just run down the clock intentionally to leave without a deal. And now, at the final sprint, if you like, the final hurdle, the final months that we have to try and just secure a little bit of something for, for the Brits living in Europe, for the Europeans living in Britain, for some kind of trade agreement so that we don't crash out the food scarcity, medicine scarcity. Like, this is the last chance saloon unelected prime minister and i'm going to say he's unelected because he was elected as an mp but he was never elected as prime minister the elections theresa may was the party leader his party who let's be honest they're only in power themselves thanks to a very dubious dup deal that the level of democracy here is very thin they're looking to close down parliament altogether because he's afraid that even his own ministers in his own party are going to turn against him and block a no-deal brexit now, as I've been repeatedly told by Brexit supporters on Twitter, the government are very well able to prorogue Parliament. Um, it's it's a normal thing that that would happen. Um, they you know they draft a new budget, they usher in a new term, and Johnson's entitled to do so, of course. Taking over the leadership, it is, however, rather unprecedented that they should take a full five weeks to do so. And, of course, proroguing until October 14th barely leaves time for the Queen's speech, the budget, before the Brexit deadline. So the deal just won't be discussed. It's very, very intentional. Let's be fucking honest. You know, nobody's stupid, even though he thinks that we are. There do seem to be few solutions. They are, There are some, but there are few out of this Brexit shit show at this time. Uh, Parliament are set to read a Standing Order 24, which basically says it's it's high urgency. We need to talk about it. Um, to talk about forming a deal, not, you know, crashing out with a deal. Um, This would have to be debated, Uh, obviously, probably amended, reread, voted on, voted in favour by at least half the Commons. And then if the MPs do pass the bill at the earliest on Wednesday, let's say, it could reach the House of Lords by Thursday, where it will be deliberated and voted on. But of course, if it takes them more than a day, they don't meet on Friday, because why would they? Uh, and so if they don't reach a decision on Thursday in the one day that they'd have, it would spill over to next week, meaning we would losing more time. Uh, at earliest then, it would maybe, like, Monday, it become formal law. Uh, this time, like, I'll be recording episode three of the podcast. Uh, it draws a fine line because as of a week on Thursday, 9th of September, it looks like they could just suspend Parliament altogether. Not to come back until October 14th. Barring that, Boris Johnson could call a snap election. If enough MPs support Standing Order 24, which we'll know at the earliest on Thursday, so, you know, I don't know, he's he's threatened to expel Tory MPs if they don't back him, if not enough back him, there's clearly not a mandate in Parliament to do anything, so he should call an election, Um, but we could be looking at mid-October, by which time the clock will be run down anyway, so we really need some kind of, I don't know, a situation where we can move things forward. And have, I don't know, Boris Johnson remain in the Premier Ministries ship, the Premier ministryship ship, remain as Prime Minister, um, to try and figure out a solution before the 31st of October Brexit day, where we leave the union with or without a deal. Honestly, the subverting of British parliamentary democracy is har- horrifying. I think the British parliamentary democracy project has run its course. I think it's 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 not useful anymore. I think it's, it's served its purpose. And it doesn't fit a modern age. Um but to see it undermined like this, it's it's awful. It's disgraceful. It's a real house of cards play and it sees like this truly vile man, let's be honest. Boris Johnson he did this act as a clown for a long time when he was Mayor of London, and now he's just some kind of supervillain. Like the bumbling supervillain that you know deep down is kind of A little bit too switched on and a little bit too evil. Um, And we've got him running the country into the ground. And and we have to ask to what end? I don't think we've even scratched the surface as to why these people have been so desperate for Brexit, let alone without a deal. It's been repeatedly proven what a disaster it's going to be for the British economy, British society, and how unlawful the Brexit referendum campaigning was. So what's it all for? There are rumours that it's all about the European Union Anti-Tax Avoidance Directive, that came into play at the start of this year which aims to stop uh eu companies declaring their profits in lower tax countries overseas and instead makes them pay eu rates regardless where they are as they should taxes are important they pay for our healthcare. they pay for our education they pay for our welfare services among other things and if this turns out to be true and that the rich ruling elite of britain have forced brexit upon the country in order to avoid paying their fucking taxes well, I think we should reconsider the gulag, I don't know, like, I don't know, um, to add further stress to the situation, especially for the European expats living in Britain, let's call them expats, not migrants, because I'm an expat, apparently, maybe I'm a migrant, maybe I'm a British migrant in Spain, I don't know, but it turns out that, or it seems that Home Secretary Priti Patel is just an outright xenophobe, I don't know, um, but she's just doing everything she can to stop freedom of movement into the UK for you citizens. And the uh, the issue is that whatever Britain does, it looks like the EU are going to reciprocate for British citizens. Meaning that someone like me could potentially, li- I mean, if they stop freedom of movement, I could get permission to live and work in Spain. But it would mean I'd have to apply for a visa to cross the border into France or Portugal legally which at the minute, the freedom of movement in Europe is amazing, especially for the people I work with who travel around Europe, uh, commentating, working on MotoGP. Um, You know, a lot of them are based in Spain, but they can go to Italy, they can go to Czech Republic, they can go to France, they can go, you know, all over without needing a visa. What's more, Patel intends to increase the £30,000 income threshold making it harder for European workers who pay tax and social security in the UK to attain this so-called settled status. Again, a lot points at the EU countries reciprocating the conditions for British citizens. So what she imposes on UK citizens with her left hand, she also imposes on British citizens in Europe with her right hand. And what makes this worse is that the average UK salary of £28,600 falls massively short of the threshold she's proposing. I think she's a real vile piece of work, and it, she just sums up the xenophobia and the racism in the British cabinet right now. And I think this is added to by the fact that she's the daughter of a migrant family. You know, they've made their home in what was at once compassionate, welcoming arms of Great Britain. You'd expect her to have more empathy and understanding with people that are trying to do, say, do the same, you know? Bring families to Great Britain for the better of their families. Make their home here and give back to Britain as well. Let's not forget that in 2017, she was held. She held unofficial meetings in Israel with officials that eventually led her resignation. She is just awful, really horrible. Like Johnson, undermines everything that British democracy should be. Other distressing world news last week came in the form of the Amazon forest burning. We got this incredible. I don't know if it was drone, helicopter, uh, space satellite footage of of just these massive massive fires all across brazil and south america whilst this story seems to have sort of suddenly disappeared and disappeared almost as quickly it's really important that we keep the story alive because we've got to fight more and more pushing back against these dire effects of capitalism and and that it's having on the planet it seems that brazil has had a lot of forest fires this year in fact the highest number since 2010 according to the National Institute for Space Research. The fires can occur naturally during the dry seasons, and it's been one of the hotter years on record, so perhaps it's not surprising that the fires are starting. However, there are reports that Brazilian President Bolsonaro President Bolsonaro, has encouraged rainforest clearing for farming and logging, and if that's the case, it just makes me want to weep for our world, you know? The high and the low of it, is that this is just bad news for everyone involved. Not only is the burning of trees and land emitting a ton of carbon into the atmosphere, but we rely on those trees to absorb carbon from the atmosphere. In fact, a study last year suggested that planting a trillion trees, and that's in addition to the ones that have been burned this year, because the study was done last year, a trillion trees could reduce the problem massively. It could, in fact, reverse global warming. But the problem is that it takes years for these trees to mature. We could even be looking at what's a 50 years for it to have a real effect. That's if we plant and protect a trillion trees without burning, destroying any more. So we need to stop planting trees, stop burning them down. It's suggested that this is something that any one of us could do. We could go and plant a tree. Uh, this is kind of like guerrilla tree planting idea going on. Um, but also making land available to trees, you know. We also need to look at why deforestation happens. And a large amount of it points to farming, particularly meat farming, as the farmers use the fertile soil to grow grass, the space for grazing animals. Not to mention that meat farming itself creates large amounts of carbon dioxide anyway. And these animals take time to mature, are transported, processed, packaged and plastic. You know, they're putting, packaged in plastic before being transported more to our supermarkets. Like the whole process just seems backwards to me. Um, And the UN did say in August that global meat consumption has to fall in order to to combat global warming. The UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, has suggested that the benefits are twofold because it frees up land, as we mentioned, where we can plant more trees. And it would cut gigatons of carbon dioxide being emitted into the atmosphere by the process of, of cultivating meat. They didn't say to go totally meat-free as they don't recommend diets. They didn't want to kind of get their hands wet and all of that. But the message was pretty damn clear. Now, I believe this is an easy win because if every single one of us went meat-free just like two, three days a week, 25% of our meals, 30% of our meals, or, you know, the equivalent of six to ten meals over a week, we could have a huge impact. One of the things that I repeatedly struggled to get my head around is just how small of an impact we have on our own individually but that impact quickly becomes more dramatic when more of us get involved and that's for positive and negative so the negative is one of us drives a car it's not going to have a massive impact but if millions of us drive cars that's going to have a pretty dire effect on the environment but the the inverse is true if one of us avoids driving a cars okay it's having an effect but not a massive one but if millions of us can avoid driving our cars if millions of us millions of us can avoid eating meat a couple of days a week. That could have an effect. And it's not as scary as it sounds. I love bacon. I love steak. I love believe me, like if if there's anyone that's gonna be pulled away, I'd probably be one of the last. But I've actually found it quite exciting looking at recipes, trying different foods. I'm not gonna swap meat for meat substitutes. I don't wanna kind of go with this this faux bacon and and like imitation meats. Um I'm just gonna balance out my meat cravings on the meat you know on the meat days if you like the days i'm gonna eat meat and the other days i'll make sure i have meat free meals it's that easy just trying to keep a balance um apparently the easiest way to do it is just think of grain green and bean i can't remember where i saw this but i've seen it lots as i've been researching this Uh, and if you go for grain green and bean you get a, a really balanced healthy meal high in nutrients and proteins and yes that is proteins without meat apparently the the combination of of beans and grain gives you like all the amino acids you need i don't know um but it's as simple as that so tonight i'll be getting my grain from whole wheat tortilla wraps my green from spinach and roasted vegetables and my bean from more well, beans as well as some homemade hummus and boom healthy dinner and saving the planet two for one try it uh, and maybe it'll do you good getting more vegetables in as well Just start by switching out like, I don't know, every other dinner with like a vegetarian option and just go from there. Now, let's I want to tell you about something that's made me smile this past week. Uh, I have to admit I've had some fun with my work colleagues because I work in sort of sports media and a lot of my work colleagues are really big into sports, all kinds of sports, but particularly like the most popular sport, which is football. Um, My English colleagues, obviously big into Premier League. They've got their teams over there. So at the start of the month, the start of August, we decided to set up the the work fantasy football league, and I thought, eh, I'll get involved. Why not? Give it a go. It'll be fun. It'll be a talking point. Maybe it encourages me to keep tabs on on football too, which is something that always always served well when I go to social events. Like a lot of people, when they say, "Ah, oh, where are you from?" You know, oh, I'm from I'm from England. Ah, oh, where are you where are you? From? I'm from Nottingham, but I, well, I grew up in Leicester actually. You know, Leicester City. And suddenly, you know, oh, yeah, they won the league a few years ago, right? Oh, okay, you know, you follow football, oh, Manchester City, oh, Chelsea, or oh, did you see so-and-so did this? I don't know. Useful. Follow the football if you want to be able to talk to anyone. Like, that's my advice. Uh, it really steers me lot wrong between football and movies, movies and music. I don't know. It, it's easy. Um, So I signed up, and I set about picking my team, mostly going by, like, crowd wisdom. Thank you, Twitter. Um, And just names that I recognized, like they've been in the news or, or, yeah, I've heard people talking about them. And I looked as well for tips from various websites. Like, seriously, just Google Premier League fantasy football tips. They're there. There's a ton of them. Um, So I was going like Mo Salah from Liverpool, uh, Sterling, Manchester City, uh, Maguire because he played for Leicester City. You know, my team, as I said. Uh, And he was sold to Manchester United over the summer for like a load of money it was a massive massive transfer I can't remember um so I was like you know let's start with them Peter Schmeichel no Peter Schmeichel no Peter Schmeichel's son Schmeichel from Leicester City Peter Schmeichel was the the Manchester United goalkeeper um Schmeichel Jr I don't know his first name should look that up uh he's in goal of course Leicester City fan um didn't get Jamie Vardy up front I spent all my cash on Mo Salah and Salah and Sterling and it didn't happen maybe i'll try and transfer him in this week i don't know um and then i got lucky with like tammy abraham the chelsea player who i'd never even heard of saw him on twitter people saying yeah maybe worth a go and it turned out to be something of a star purchase he's given me a massive massive points boost and by the end of game week three i was second in the world lead standings wow and it was embarrassing for everybody else i'm not going to complain um but it was kind of like okay i've been lucky up to now i need to take this a bit seriously still going to go with crowd wisdom. Like You can't go wrong, I think, with crowd wisdom. But I've been a little bit more on it. I've been trawling Twitter for tips. I've been looking for uh, the upcoming fixtures, like Manchester United play Leicester City this week. Uh, In my very not informed guess, I would say Manchester United get the upper hand there. Maybe I should try and trade out some Leicester City players. Manchester United have got some easy fixtures coming up. Let's try and bring some more of them in. Just crude guesses about who's going to beat whom in the coming weeks. But I have started looking like three or four weeks ahead. I'm not gonna lie the pressure's on a little bit um i'm trying not to get all big-headed about it but there is a certain smugness about being the top of a, a fantasy league um of people that are massive football fans when i have literally no clue we're only four weeks in though so that's not carried away um but it is difficult just to not <laughs> not be smug and big-headed when i'm beating a load of true football fans um little victories in life and speaking of little victories rugby union uh ireland beat wales on saturday In the pre-World Cup friendlies. And England beat Ireland a week previous. So Wales went from number one in the world standings down to fourth. Ireland went up to second in the world. And England went up to third without even getting their boots muddy. And New Zealand Zealand returned to the top as well. Number one ranked team in the world. And they didn't even have to do a hacker. Um, It's bizarre. Next week if Ireland beat Wales, they'll be going to the World Cup as number one team in the world. And if Wales beat Ireland by 16 points, I think they'll be going as number one in short the world ranking system is bizarre and messed up and shouldn't really apply to friendlies ahead of the world cup games uh, but hey ho we're just a few weeks away from the rugby world cup kicking off on september 20th i can't wait uh the quarterfinals actually coincide with the japanese moto gp so many other dates also fly uh, coincide with these kind of weird weird moto gp rounds that we've got coming up you know, like thailand malaysia Australia where I'm going to be sleeping and working weird hours. So there's a good chance that I'm going to be able to get to watch quite a lot of the the rugby action live. Well, live on TV. Very excited about it. All I need to do now though is find a bar in Barcelona open at those hours that I can go and watch the rugby. That's all for this week. I I feel like I've rattled through it this week. I don't know. Uh, But thank you all once again for joining me. Again, do get in contact. Come and find me on Instagram or Twitter where I'm at The Last Palabra or on Facebook as well, I'm really keen to hear any and all feedback, uh, comments, anything that we've spoken about today, or you know if you've got any fantasy football tips. Thanks for listening.